was, keep it short. <laughs> Your wife and the Bogots came up to hear Paul, not you. So I am going to try and do that. Oh, i got to roll this up one so can I see the watch at least. I assume any church worth its salt has a message at least a half hour. So I'm going to go 15 minutes, and that puts 15 minutes on my friend Paul here. Uh, I did. He asked me to preach, and I said yes. And I thought, wait, we want to go up and hear him. So uh, I called him right back, and we made this agreement that I would take half the time and he would take half the time. Um, too bad you couldn't understand the words of that. Maybe some of you did that song that Wilson sang. Powerful words of God being with us and comforting us and taking care of us and watching over us. It was, it was really a good message. It's a privilege to be here. Uh, Paul and I have known each other for a while. I was privileged to take him down to Brazil one time to introduce him to Paulo Bem, who was a friend of mine down there. And uh, you've connected with Brazil that way, and I appreciate that. And uh, pray for Brazil with you, and Paul's going down again this year, uh, summertime, I think, our summertime. Uh, have you ever been there in their wintertime? I don't know. It'll be, it'll be good it, it for you. It rains when I go down there a lot. Yeah, that's good. It'll be cold and raining this time, so <laughs> you can experience. My wife experienced more cold in Brazil than she ever is up here because there's nothing that... Uh, uh, Nothing that, uh, no, nothing heats you any place. There's no heater any place in Brazil. So, um, can you hear me okay? Good. Kids, I got, you get to go. I got this uh, thing on green, and that's what's supposed to do it. So, um, I was privileged to see God at work in Brazil, and I want to give you just a little bit of a history of how that went, what it, what what happened there. Uh, in 1950, I came to know Jesus Christ through a personal encounter with him. So I knew what conversion was about. I knew what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus and have assurance of salvation. Uh, when I got up to St. Olaf, I assumed I was going to something like a Bible camp because I figure church, college, and all that. I found out it was more of a mission field than a Bible camp. And while at St. Olaf, I ran into missions. We had a mission study group. The president of St. Olaf at that time had been an ex-missionary to China. And God laid on my heart missions. The next step in that was being uh, going to the seminary at Luther in 1954. And God had to get me lined up with some girl that was going to go to missions. So a young lady born in Canada, living in Seattle, Washington, Chicago, and then a small little town in North Dakota, he brought to Minnesota to the uh, nursing school. And the nursing school had the bright idea of inviting all the male schools, there were only ladies then in the nursing school, invite three or four male seminaries to go with them on a hayride. One of the, I think it was about four or five guys to each nurse. <laughs> and something triggered Ruth. And, and we, we maybe have different memories of this story. <laughs> but from my memory, he triggered Ruth to throw hay at me from the hay ride we were on. And uh, so I threw it back. And that started a relationship. 
At five years of age, I found out, she, her, she has an interesting story. Um, Dwight L. Moody went over to England to preach one time, and uh, he wanted to go out and preach to the, to the uh, gypsies. And they said, no, we can't have... Or he wanted the gypsies to come in join the meeting. They wouldn't let him because they thought they'd steal stuff. So he, he, went, he went out there to, to preach to them. And one guy that got converted was uh, a gypsy, and he, Dwight L. Moody put his hand on this little kid. He said, someday you're going to be a preacher around the world. That preacher was known as Gypsy Smith and was a preacher in Seattle, Washington, when Ruth, at the age of five, stood up on the pew so she could be seen because he said, if you're going to go to missions, stand up. And she stood up. Five years old. I wasn't a Christian at that time. But at the age of 18, in 1950, I became one. And somehow he worked it around to get us together. So we had committed ourselves. We got married in 1956. And in 1958, seven of us from the seminary felt that we should go to Brazil's mission field. They said, we don't have a field there and we can't start one because we're going to have a merger with the, uh, we were ELC, I think we are going to merge with the ALC. And we became ALC then. We couldn't start one. So we wrote a letter to the Women's Missionary Federation of the old ELC. I don't remember how many churches there were, maybe a couple, 300. And um, we said, we have seven young Christian boys who want to go to Brazil to be missionaries, and the old church won't let us. Would you guys support us? So the Women's Missionary Federation of the total ELC uh, church said, for two years, we'll give you our total Total budget. We'll give everything to you. So our mission board went back, and we said to them, why don't you have ALC get something, too, so that it can come in equal. So the ALC got New Guinea, and we got Brazil, and we went down there, seven of us. The Lord prepared our hearts by sending us out into the what had been a jungle area, and they were cutting it all down to plant coffee. Parana Vai, Parana, the state of Parana, third one up from the south. And well, there we started a church. We knew what conversion was. We came home on furlough, and we stumbled across a Methodist church that was having a talk that night on small groups. That would have been in about 1962 or three. And so we called the babysitter. Uh, we had a baby at that time. Uh, 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 our second child was born here in the United States. No, no, third one was here. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, we said, could you stay a little while later? So we went to this small group, and we met with 10 or ten people, and we opened ourselves up to those 10 people. Just amazing. We just shared. So we got down to Brazil and realized that's what's needed here. So we started a small group. So now out in the interior, I know how Lord has led me to be able to lead people to Christ, resulting in assurance of salvation, and to have a small group to help them grow up to be disciples. Disciples are notched up from followers. Jesus has eight conditions of being a discipleship in the New Testament. Eight things where he says, if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. Or if you do this, then you can be my disciple. They're conditions. And so these, these groups were meant to lead to decision, uh, lead to discipleship. Um, in 1965... 
uh, I was invited to go down to the ESL Bay, which is a Brazilian Lutheran church. Paulo Bem used to be a part of it. Basically, he was smart enough to leave before he got kicked out. Uh, they, what happened was... Yeah, yeah, Paulo Bay. Um, and um, we, we got to uh, meet with this church, this ESL Bay. They called us to be a youth pastor in one town where we had a baptized membership of 10,000 and they had a German service and then a Portuguese. The Portuguese had an average attendance of just over 200 when I was, uh, came there. I preached one message. The message was basically this. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superior superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined, made a decision, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. For Paul, that was a choice. For me, I didn't know any of those kind of words in Portuguese, so (laughs) it was quite easy to fill that part in. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The guy I had come to help had never been able to go home to Germany to vacation, so I was there, he could go home. He got in Germany and decided, this would be a great, I'm just going to quit now and stay in Germany, so he did. And I was pastor of the whole church. I had all... It's kind of like being the mayor of a town of 10,000. You have all the baptisms, all the weddings, all the funerals, all the uh, confirmation classes. Uh, one pastor doing it all. But my message was very simple. If you have been baptized and confirmed and married by the church and plan to be buried by the church, doesn't make you a Christian. You need to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Four kinds of soils. One didn't get anywhere. The next two choked out. One was left. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ in a personal relationship, you don't have salvation. You will not go to heaven. I preached that the first three Sundays I was there. The crowd started coming a little bit more. The president of the congregation took me aside and said, when are you going to stop preaching on that theme? I said, when you've been converted. (laughs) I mean, that's the first step, is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. My heart aches for the many, many churches that exist that don't talk about that personal relationship that results in assurance of salvation. So anyway, uh, see, I've taken a little too much time here, I think. But I'm, I'm going. I'm still moving. Oh, Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So you, you preach the gospel. John um, 1.10 to 13 says, He came unto his own, but his own didn't receive him, but to as many as received him. You've got to receive him. That's a conscious choice. Romans says you believe in your heart, not just an intellectual. It says, you know, Luther wanted to get rid of uh, James because... James basically says there's a kind of a belief that doesn't count for nothing. It's a dead faith, and the devils believe and tremble. Intellectual believing doesn't make salvation. 
According to Romans, you believe with the heart and confess with the mouth for salvation. Well, I knew how to do that because I'd had that experience, and the breakthrough was in a stewardship meeting. They had decided to bring in free will offering. The way it had been it was in that whole church was uh, you count the, the, the number of units. If there was a widow, that's one unit. A married guy who owns two banks, that's another unit. They all paid the same amount. You got the, bat, you got the budget, you divided up in units, and that's what they paid. Now stewardship was coming in. These people, we had about 120 people visiting. 80 of them came to this meeting. They were tired out of visiting. I said, I know why. The other pastor had gone now, so I could kind of say what I wanted to say. <laughs> I kind of did anyway. But anyway, I, I drew a, a big circle up in front. That's the church. Inside this big circle, I drew a circle with nothing in it, a circle with a cross in it, three more circles with nothing and one with a cross. And then I said, the problem that you're having is some of you don't, of these 80, you don't have Christ in your life. And you are going to someone who doesn't have Christ in their life, and you're asking for a Christ-centered response, stewardship. You give because of Jesus. Well, they realized, yeah, but I'm going to show you tonight how to become a Christian. And I did. And I said, now the rest of you can go. This is not a uh, spectator sport thing. Uh, I just want to talk to those who really want to. But too many stayed, about 20 stayed. And I thought, boy, that's big. Let me, let me go over it again how to become a Christian. And my idea of becoming a Christian in this setting was it is total, complete abandon. It's unconditional surrender to Jesus. And if you're not ready to do that, your finances, your family, everything goes to Jesus. Then you can leave. Well, about nine of them left, and there were 11 left. So I talked to the 11, and I, had, I said, each one of them, now I want you to pray a prayer. I want it to include, I'm sorry for my sins, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins, and I accept you, receive you, invite you into my life. Thank you. So Helga stood up. They'd never prayed before. They said, we don't know how to pray except that the Apostles' Creed. I said, well, then you don't know how because that's not a prayer. Well, the Lord's Prayer, yeah, that's, that's a prayer. That one you do know how to pray, but this is a little different. So Helga says she... Uh, I don't know if she folded her hands or not, but she looked down and she said, Okay, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. How's that, Pastor? <laughs> and I said, That's good. Keep going. And so she did. Eleven people invited Jesus into their life. Hallelujah. I formed them into a small group. We were going to meet, and I got a call from the banker that had accepted Christ saying, We can't meet. Why not? Communism was taking over Brazil at that time. This was 1965. And they took it over with grupos de onze, which is groups of 11. We could not meet as a group of 11. So Carlos had called me. So I said, okay, go lead someone to Christ so we can have 12. (laughs) And he did. And we had 12. Our group was so committed. I mean, I was all out. We had nine disciplines for our small group. It's nine disciplines. We wanted this, you mean business or you don't. And that's the way it started. Well, after I had a few groups, I was teaching 
about eight or ten classes a week, and that's how I got there to teach them in schools, religion classes. Now I had these groups of small groups meeting, and we grew up to a certain number. And um, I, I couldn't, I felt, I'm res- according to First Thessalonians, I'm responsible to feed, take care of those who accept Christ. I can't just help them accept. Billy Graham almost stopped being Billy Graham or having these sermons because he, had, he wasn't taken care of. He talked to Dawson Trotman with the navigators and said, would you come and take care of these Christians? And Dawson said, no, I'm called to this, but I'll give you Charlie Riggs. So Charlie Riggs went and worked with Billy Graham and uh, developed follow-up. Um, I called my... Uh, Ruth had introduced me to a navigator uh, when we had come back to Brazil in 64. And uh, I had talked with them, and I, I knew a little bit of what they did. So I called him up and said, Jim, I, I don't know what to do. I, can't, uh, I don't feel like I can lead more people to Christ because I'm leading right now about six different groups of uh, small groups during the week. And uh, he said, well, you've got to learn how to be in two places at once. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Can you do that? Yeah. Will you show me how? Yeah. He came down in the wintertime. We went to a beach where there was no one there. And for two days, he showed me how Jesus prepared the 12 and how Paul prepared Timothy. That's what you've got to do. You've got to meet with people one-on-one, which in Portuguese is um a um. <laughs> so I came back, and I couldn't know if I had that time because I never met with fewer than a couple hundred people because church, and it was growing by then. We, had, we started Sunday school, and I was involved with that. And so I prayed, Lord, if, if this is your idea, if it's possible to do it as the pastor of a church of this many people that's growing now in attendance, uh, bring them to me. Have them say, um, um. I got home somewhere that evening, and that night Carlos came up the one that had led this other person to the Lord. He said, you know, Pastor, my neighbor, I think, is really hungry, but I'm not quite sure how to get to him. Could we meet together just one-on-one? Yeah, yeah. Let me think about it. The seminary, four years, didn't teach me how to do anything one-to-one. I mean, common sense would tell you kind of what to do, but we had no training in it. And then Ed DeGar came and he said, you know, I got a good, he was the head of a hardware store, I got a good salesman here, and he uh, stole some stuff, so I, I should fire him, but he's really good, I'd like to recover him. Is there a way we could get together one-to-one and talk about that? Wow. I'll, I'll think about it. This was the next day. By, I got home on a Friday night. By Saturday night, five guys had come to me. Wow. I said, I got the idea, Lord, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it. As soon as I said I did it, they stopped coming. So I began to meet one-on-one with five different guys. And finally, we got to where we would have all five together plus one-on-one. And uh, then we got with the wives coming together, and Ruth and I would meet with the couples. Um, But we were training, developing. I didn't know how to train anybody. So I asked Jim. He said, well, basically, you've got to be with them, spend time with them. But then why don't you make a list of 20 characteristics of a a mature man of God? Have each one help you do it, and then choose one of those topics. Define it, study it, and discuss how to become that way, like faithful, for instance. That's one. I tried to get baptism of the Holy Spirit 
gifts of the Holy Spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit as three different ones? No, no, Holy Spirit, that's just one. So we still had the 18 to go on this list. But we got the list and we started meeting with them. Um, uh, then the people wanted to get into that group that hadn't been converted. And I said, no. We have a lot of spiritism in Brazil. I did not want nine people that all had the spirit of Christ and one in the group with us that had the spirit of evil, a demon. I didn't want that. So I said, you can't. And they said, well, that sounds kind of funny, a Lutheran pastor telling us you can't be in a small group. Okay, I'll start a small group. So I started groups of John. John says, many things were written. These were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing have eternal life. So I started open groups of John. You could come if you wanted to. You didn't have to come. No discipline at all, just just groups of John. Um, And I'm not going to make this long. Keep going. (laughs) Uh, It was, uh, oh, I got that on one page. Um, So I called him, yeah, 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 I got that. Okay. Oh, I might make it. Um, So then... uh, The five guys I was meeting with pitched in to share Christ. More conversions started coming. We had an evangelism meeting, and I, I didn't know who else to invite because pastors were starting to come to me, and some of them that came to find out what was going on didn't know Jesus. So I, I didn't want to invite. So I myself led the deal, and hundreds of people accepted Christ. God was just, he had he'd prepared this thing. I have no idea why he chose me. There were guys among the seven of us that were smarter than me. There were guys that were more committed to Jesus, more faithful to Jesus, but he chose me, and I was available. And that's kind of what you have to be is available. And um, so we began to spread out. Uh, Our church was local, and then we had, it's a big town, and they had to walk, and there were no cars too many in that that day. So I started five different suburbs in a lady's house, and after we started growing there, she had to knock out a few walls of her house so we could get more people in there. One was a school that wasn't used on Sunday, and one was a a shop that was closed on Sunday. So I had five different areas. These guys would go out and preach there. And so they called them pastors. And I was meeting with them as a group and individually, and they were growing in the Lord some of them were leading small groups. Well, all of them were leading small groups. We had a point there where we had 30 small echo groups, we call them. E for study the word, estudar. C for share where you're at in your life, which is compartilhar. And O for prayer, orar. We had 30 of those. We had five general John studies. And these guys led them. One of the guys made up the studies. He'd do better than me. Carlos made up. He was in charge of having studies for us and have series of studies. Um, so anyway, uh, these the pastors begin to come. And I'd say, hey, do you know if you have assurance of your own personal relationship? With you? I always showed them the bridge, which is a navigator thing. Uh, God, man, uh, all kinds of ways don't work. Cross, Jesus Christ died for you. I showed them that, and then I'd say, where are you? And someone, the pastor says, I don't know. So I would lead the pastor to accept Christ because that's why he came. He, something here, one pastor came, 
that I later, re, uh, they asked if I would feel real bad if he went and worked full time with the navigators because he was a pastor in our church and he's really a good one. And you know, you don't, you don't hold on to people, you release people and they go where God leads them. And um, he, he came and he said, I, I sense the smell of the supernatural here. What is it? I shared with him what it was. It was converting pe- people getting converted and having assurance, small groups that were disciplined where they were growing up to discipleship, and one-to-one meetings with people training the laity to be the priesthood of believers. So that's what we were doing. And pastors would come. I ended up meeting with five different pastors, one-on-one, and the five laymen ended up, I said, you got to have at least two others for this thing to multiply. So those five got two more. So there was a second tier of ten. Those guys got more. So it started multiplying. Um, let's see. Oh, these laymen would go to other cities and where they had relatives, and they'd teach them small groups, and they'd, teach them, they'd, they'd lead them to Christ. So it started spreading. Well, so one year, I don't remember what year it was, we had a gathering of all the small groups, which were in about 10 different cities around by then. We called it, an encontro is a meeting. Encontrón is a large meeting. So this thing that was based basically on one-to-one ministry got a nickname, the large meeting. And that's what it's called today, un movimiento encontrón, the movement of the large meeting. That's its name. And this thing has developed... Uh, there are 26 states in Brazil, and 20 of them had these people in it. Seminary was about one-third of the people going to the seminary had this, were part of this movement. Um, we had a pastor's meeting, and, and this I'll make I can pretty well close with this. Um, we had a pastor's meeting, and we came away with three goals. We, we didn't have the courage to say, we are going to do this. We said we're going to participate in the building of God's kingdom starting with the ECLEB or our Lutheran church. That's our start. One, evangelize individuals to have a personal relationship with Jesus with assurance of their salvation. They know they're saved and they know why, how they can know they're saved. Two, establish small groups for growing up to discipleship of all the converts. Three, meet one-to-one with others, and we didn't try to define it, so we put, as Paul met with Timothy. That was our goal. And so that started a movement. That started a movement. These, we made a pact together. Uh, I miss that here in this country. But we had a pact together. No pastor would make a move unless all five of us agreed. Sometimes, in the five lay people, we asked one to move to another city to start to get feeding that group over there. He was a television repairman, so he could have done it, but we, we ended up by leading people to Christ in that town. That pastor was led to Christ, so he stayed in our town, and, and that pastor took over. But it was a movement that spread. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, out of 26 states, we had people in 20 of them. We established a center. I, I wasn't too comfortable with this, but I wasn't leading it anymore. Uh, a building. We built a building. 
and uh, it's a fairly big building, and in that building we have a seminary. We print books, and we started a mission. They call it Misong Zero. That means it's a mission to where they don't have any Lutherans or Germans because this was basically a German church. So they started those all over. We had one of my five guys. Uh, he, well, he, wasn't, he was a later guy, but he was over in Mozambique where they speak Portuguese. He said it's not like our Portuguese in Brazil. But he was over there, and he got all... He says they never even heard of making disciples. They only heard about getting people saved. So he spent, I think it was 10 days over there, teaching them how to make disciples. We have other movimental people going into Uruguay and Paraguay and Chile. So it's spreading around. This is something God did... um, in a liberal church, it's being impacted with new people in church, new people in Christ, and um, uh, I can't read what I said there. Anyway, that's how it started. That's what we ended up with. We came home, and uh, I took Larry Christensen down. What was happening, this evangelical movement began to move into a charismatic movement. And when they moved into the charismatic movement, they either got kicked out or they got pressure on them. People come and video what they do. And, of course, as soon as they got in, these churches begin to reach out to non-Germans. And you get a lot of spiritism in Brazil. So they'd come in. So there was casting out of demons. There was healings. There was speaking in tongues. There was all that stuff. And so Paulo Bame, the one that you are up here with, that his son is up here, uh, I just... Council. One of sometimes they'd fight getting kicked out, but Paulo, I suggested, and he just bought it right away. Uh, just leave. Why wait till you're kicked out? Just leave, and you don't have to worry about your pat, your your patrimonial, what you call it, the property you own. Just go, and God will give you other. And He did. He's given him a beautiful place. You've been in it. So, anyway, that's the story of Brazil, and I'm thrilled that Paul is connected with Brazil and keeping going in that. So that's it. Do you know? Would you call someone like that that does that? What do you call that? That's, that's an apostle. An apostle is one who is building not just a, a church or even a city. He's changing a nation. He changed the nation. So I heard about Jack as a young pastor, and we had you come out to Trinity, and he talked about small groups and one-on-one, and somehow that got into my heart, one-on-one. And I wasn't doing a lot of it, but I, I started to do some of it at Trinity. Then we come back here, and this room was getting filled up with young people. And uh, we'd start a seminary and we start a network of, of churches. But, uh, and so I remembered what Jack did. And so I began to meet with a small group. And Paul was one of those in that small group pretty early on. And so I asked Paul to share his experience of that because. Uh, <coughs> I couldn't do it with everybody, and Karen, Karen couldn't do it ever, with everybody, so we did have some small groups. I wish we'd had more small groups, but uh, I met individually, and I still do that now. 
I meet individually with, and in small groups uh, during the week with uh, maybe four different groups or so. Paul, uh, come on up and just share your remembrance and experience of that. Yeah, thanks, Paul. So, yes, um, I'm also Paul. <laughs> Back when um, we started this, we were often referred to as the Pauls. <laughs> yeah. So it's an honor to share your name as well. Um, but, yeah, I like to start these conversations with questions. When Paul asked me to share, I, I like to think about things in the form of a question. So Paul said, why don't you share a minute or two on mentoring? And so the question I like to ask is, why mentoring? And the simple answer is, really, mentoring isn't our idea. It's Jesus' idea. And I like to think about Matthew 16 a lot in that Jesus is actually building something. And um, he's building the church. And one of the primary vehicles he uses to do it is discipleship. And really, discipleship is just mentoring, exactly what Jack talked about. And um, I remember when I met Paul, I was very, very different than the Paul I am today. Um, and I needed a lot of character formation. And so when Jack's talking about that concept of really God forming his character in us, um, I think one of the primary ways he does it is mentorship. And I had a lot of anger, um, bitterness, and just enormous amounts of pride. But I wanted Jesus. I really wanted what it looked like to be converted, like Jack's talking about, but I had no grid for how to go about that. And to try to go about that on my own would have been really, really difficult. And God is sovereign, and I'm sure he would have found a way to do it. Um, but how much more wonderful to do it with a person like Paul. And when I think about Paul's opening words to Timothy in Second Timothy, he says, Timothy, my dear son. And when I look at Paul, I like Paul, my dear father. And like, that's not a joke. Like, I weep at the beauty of our relationship now. Because I didn't have a really strong relationship with my father. And Paul not only like took me in as a son, but he helped me reconcile that with my own father. And now that's so much different. And I can't think of like, what that would look like without it. And, you know, it's invaluable to know, like, how far we've come. And it's 12 years. I mean, like, 12 years, it seems like maybe a long time, but it's really not. Like, it's just when you think about it, it's like how much the Lord poured into our life and our relationship in just that short period of time. And it's just so tenderizing, and it's beautiful. So, yeah, that's... Kind of where I'm landed. Thank you. Thank you. And he is becoming a father. His wife is is carrying their first child, so that's very very exciting. And yeah. Pardon. Yeah, it's on hold because of a uh, class that he's taking. I meet with a couple other guys that he'll be in with, Andy Rangans, who was a part of the leadership here, and uh, a guy named Israel Anderson that some of you know. And, yeah, yeah. So, and here's why, 
one reason why I wanted to do that, because uh, Jack, and, and I'm going to make this real brief, Jack uh, led a revival in Brazil. I mean, that's a full-on revival. People getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, reaching out to others. And the Bible says that in the last days, I, uh, before the great and terrible the day of the Lord comes, I will send Elijah the prophet, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So it starts with the fathers. I reached out to him before he reached out to me. I reached out to some of the, those that I could see had, had a desire, had a longing, and were broken. Uh, turn the hearts of the fathers and the hearts of the children of the fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. So an unfathered generation, such as we see in America, we see it in Finland, I saw it when I was over there, is under a curse. So to change that, what happens? You have fathers and mothers who reach out to sons and daughters. And that's what he did. And that's what he taught me to do. And I've been doing that. I do a lot of it. Every, every week I do a lot of it. And uh, so I'm saying to you, fathers and mothers, I'm saying I want you to think about, be praying about what that would mean for you to do in your setting. It may be in this setting here, or it may be in another setting. But I want to ask you in the next couple of weeks, have you thought about this? Have you prayed about what that would mean for you? Because what it means for me is that I spend a good portion of my time with one other person or in a small group. Some of them are past, younger pastors, and I ask them. Uh, some, asked, some have asked me, but I asked them. I said, I would like to spend time with you. So uh, I'll be getting back to you, or you can come to me before I come to you. But if you don't come to me, I will be talking to you and asking you if you see this as something that you would like to be doing. It could be doing, doing it in here. It could be in your neighborhood. However, the Lord lets you do it. it you, didn't have, you had a plan for making it happen, but you, the way it happened was different than probably in every situation. Yeah, so, so uh, we're going we're gonna to close here now. But uh, you hear what? Yeah. Wonderful. And I, I love to go to groups where people are believing for revival because I'm believing for revival. And I love to spark that interest. I went down to, to uh, what the church? Huh? Amen. Yeah. Because I heard that they were praying for revival. And there are 10 people who were formerly intercessors at North Heights. And I'll be meeting with them in a couple of weeks just to share with them about revival in the past and encourage them to keep believing. Because I believe strongly that revival is imminent. It's in the last days. Scripture makes it clear. The last verse of the Old Testament uh, tells us. And the, the last ver word of the Old Testament ends with the word curse. So the option to curse is revival. God reviving the land and uh, reviving it. So uh, Nate and I, we were just over at uh, North, uh, West, North Central University. We pray over there for revival. We feel that that college is so ripe uh, and they have people that believe for revival in the, on the campus so we pray there for revival this coming week I'll be praying with a, a group uh, 
In fact, I get my schedule all messed up. I don't know when I have to rely on Nate to help me. Because when are we meeting with this group? Because we have several <laughs> different groups that we pray for revival. But uh, I love to hear that others are praying for revival because I pray with others because it keeps my fire burning. So when I pray with Tom Stewart and Bill Pratt and Chris Munson for revival, it urges me to keep that fire going. Uh, so I, uh, I've talked a little bit about it here. Maybe we should talk more about it. But uh, God promises in the last day, and it will be a revival that will include relationships. It will be a revival relationship. The older connecting with the younger and the younger with the older, lest he comes and smite the land with a curse. So, Father, we thank you that your word makes it clear that you're going to sweep through this land, this city, this nation, and the world. I'm praying for one billion. You pray for whatever God leads you to pray for, that God will sweep through by his power and he will, in, he will turn older people to younger people, and they will see the potential in those younger people. I pray that people here will see the power they can have. Jack started so small, so dinky, and it changed a land just by one-on-one, just by small groups. And so give us hope that this little church, this little place, could be the seedbed for a mighty revival. I absolutely believe that, that this little place will be known around the world because of the spirit of revival, what God does, and that he will do it right here, and it will spread. And it will, it will include healing miracles. It will include powerful works of the Holy Spirit, casting out of the demonic and uh, bringing in the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, give us hope. Give us zeal. We pray for those who are discouraged, who can hardly look up to see anything. We pray that you would encourage hearts to see beyond themselves the potential that they, that we never know when we lead somebody to Jesus, what, what difference they're going to make, what, what God, how God's going to use them. So thank you, God, for what you did this morning. I bless Jack. I thank you for Jack and Ruth. Thank you that they were pioneers in Brazil, and you used them to fire it up and that uh, they've even uh, stoked the fire here this morning and what they've shared with us. So we bless Jack and Ruth. We thank you. We pray that you give them good health. Amen. Give them health and strength for these days. Lord, they're not done yet. They haven't hit the tape. And so we pray that you would help them to uh, encourage others in the way that they have with us this morning. And so the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I want you to do one thing before you come up. Uh, 